If you got a Bible, go to Luke 16. Luke chapter 16. A couple weeks ago, I asked you to begin to pray for your one. And I wanted us to begin to think as a church family, who is that one person who you've been placed in their life for the purpose of the gospel. God placed you there because they need to hear about Jesus. They need to be loved toward Jesus, toward a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, uh, and we looked a couple weeks ago at the fact that we ought to be motivated to want to share the gospel because Jesus is the only way, that he is the only way to salvation, that there is no other way. And that ought to be a great motivator for us when we think about the fact that a person cannot be saved unless they come to faith in Jesus Christ. And this week, I want us to look at another fact. That ought to be enough to motivate us. It really ought to. Um, but I need to, tell, I need to talk about another fact today, uh, one that we generally don't like to talk about much in the church, but we have to because it is true. And that's this, uh, that we must tell others about Jesus because hell is real. It's real. It is. You know, it's one of those subjects we do not like to talk about, we do not like to think about, um, understandably. I heard a story about a, a four-year-old boy who was spending the day with his grandpa, and so his grandpa loaded him up in the truck, decided to take him to the donut shop. And on the way to the donut shop, the grandpa said, Now, now, now Sonny, um, where, which way is it to heaven? And the, and the little four-year-old thought about it, and he pointed up to the sky. And he said, And which, which way is it to hell? And he thought about it, and he pointed down to the ground. And then he said, well, where do you think you're going to go? And the four-year-old sat there for a minute and thought about it, and he said, to the donut shop. <laughs> we don't like to think about it. We don't like to think about hell because it's an uncomfortable subject. Uh, it's, an, it's an uncomfortable thought. And, and even we debate about hell. I mean, people in the church will debate about it. Is, is hell really there? Are the flames really real? Is it really Forever, We have a difficult time sometimes reconciling this idea of a loving God with a God who would send people to hell for eternity. Um, it was even the Catholic Pope Francis who recently was quoted as saying he didn't really believe that hell was real. He, he thought that when people died, if they were lost, that they just simply ceased to exist. Um, and, and people have all sorts of opinions and ideas and thoughts about what hell is and what it's not and all that kind of stuff. But let me just say this, our thoughts and opinions and ideas don't really matter. What matters is what the Word of God says. And so today I want us to look at the reality of hell. And I want us to look at a story from Luke chapter 16 called The Rich Man and Lazarus. It comes in verse 19. And before we read it, uh, let me just say this. Some will debate and, and argue of whether this story is a parable or whether it is a true story. Luke is a book that is full of parables um, you might know that, that Luke is where you find the parable of the prodigal son and many other very famous parables of Jesus. Um, and there are those that will come to this story and say, oh, this is just another parable. This is just another, another story that Jesus is telling. Um, but the, the problem with that is, is that when Jesus tells parables, generally the text will say, and he told them another parable. And it'll set it up that way. And generally speaking, not all the time, or, or, or that's not always the case, but many times it is the case. He, he will, it, will, it will begin with some kind of emphasis like that, some kind of intro like that. But also, too, in no other parable does Jesus tell, does he give anyone a proper name. It's always this man, that man, this woman, that woman, this child, those type of situations. And here, Jesus gives someone a name, Lazarus. 
And so there are those that will believe this is a parable, which is a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, but this is really a heavenly story with a heavenly meaning and an a eternal story. And so I tend to lean a little bit more that maybe, this, maybe in fact this is a true story. A story that Jesus can tell only because he's Jesus and he was the one who created hell. And he's, he knows it because he's the maker of it. And so maybe this is a true story and Jesus can tell it because he knows it. Maybe it's a parable, but let me tell you this, regardless, the lesson is still the same. And so what I want us to know, first of all, is this. What we know about hell, number one, is that hell is a place full of good people. It's a place full of good people. Look in Luke 16, verse 19. It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. We're not really going to look at Lazarus and his side of the story today. We're really just going to focus on this rich man and the experience that he has in hell as was described here in Luke chapter 16. But I want us to think for a moment about who this guy is. We find out here that he's a rich man. He's got stature. He's got standing in society. He's obviously done something right in his life when it comes to his finances. He probably was a hard worker. This man lived sumptuously, the word said. He was clothed in purple and fine linen. He had the best of everything. I imagine this was a guy who was admired. This was a guy that people wanted to be around. This is a guy who people wanted to be like. Um, this was a guy who seemed to have it going. He, he seemed to have the status and the stature that everyone else wanted to have. But despite that worldly wealth, despite all that success, he dies and finds himself in hell. And this story reminds us that hell is a place that is full of good people. And when I say good, don't be confused because I know the Bible tells us that there are none good, no, not one. But I'm not talking about that kind of good. I'm talking about earthly good. You know, surely along your way in life, you have met some non-Christians who we might would describe as good people. You know, they were good neighbors. They'd loan you something when you needed it. They didn't have loud parties. They were nice people. They were friendly. You know those kind of people, right? Maybe it was a good coworker. They were hardworking. They were honest. They were always there on time. They did their job. Um, you know, those kind of people. Maybe they were good moms and dads, good family members. They contributed to the community. Um, they gave to charities. They volunteered. They coached their kids, ball teams. They were in the PTA. You know, we would call these people nice, respectable, hard workers, ethical, successful. We could go on and on and on. We've all met lost people who were classified as good people, salt of the earth people, nice people. But we've all met those people who, despite being those qualities, they were lost and they didn't know Christ. And the story of the rich man reminds us that all, in all that earthly goodness, regardless of all their earthly goodness, without Christ, they are destined for hell. Hell is full of people who thought that they were good, who thought that they were okay. They thought that they had done enough. Uh, to, to get themselves into heaven. They thought that they had done their best, but in reality their best was not good enough to overcome their sin. Their good was not good enough. 
And as a result, these good people are in hell. And here's where that problem comes in for us. Here's where that connects back to us as believers. Um, So often, we can look at other people um, who are kind, who are generous, who are polite, who are nice, who are good workers and and, and great neighbors, and we can think to ourselves, oh, you know what, I, I bet they're a Christian. Uh, you know, they're such good people, I bet, I bet they've got the Lord in their life. And we can sometimes be guilty of adopting a, a sort of prosperity gospel in which we think if someone's got their life together that they must be good with God. And as a result, we can neglect sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them because we think they've got it all together. But I pray that when we think about this story and we see that here was a man who had everything that you would want on earth and he finds himself in hell, I pray that that would motivate us, help us to realize that earthly goodness is not good enough and it's not a sign of salvation. Not in one way, shape, or form. It's not. That earthly goodness will not get you a pass from hell because there's a hell full of people who thought they were good enough. Second thing we need to see is that hell is a place full of pain. Look in verse 22. It said there in verse 22 that the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, Jesus does not soften the truth of the story. He does not um, try to make it sound less than what it really is. This, this rich man who had every comfort in this life finds himself in absolute torment and horror. That story, if you read the whole story, it calls it torment, it calls it anguish, it calls it, he talks about flames. He cries out, have mercy on me. Now you might look at the story and think it's a parable and think that Jesus is just trying to give this big colorful illustration to help us to see that hell is a really bad place. But the reality is you can go to other places where Jesus talks about hell and he uses the same kind of language. That it's always a place of pain and a place of agony. For instance, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 41, Jesus is explaining a parable, the parable of the weeds. But in his explanation, he's giving the clear truth. And this is what he says. He said, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's pain. That's torment. That's horror. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, in which that's the one where it talks about how he, he places the, the lost on one side and the saved on the other side. You remember that story? You know, and that, that's the story where it talks about I was hungry and you, and you gave me food and that, that one right there. This is what Jesus said happens to the ones who are lost, to the goats in verse 41, Matthew 25, 41. It says, He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And in verse 46 it says, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Hell is not a place of peace and quiet. It's not a place of a never-ending drinking party like a song may try to tell you. It is a place of pain, a place that no one will ever want to go, a place of never-ending anguish. This man was experiencing it, and every single man 
Every single woman who finds themselves in hell because they were lost experiences never-ending pain. But I would also add this, that number three, hell is a place of isolation. It's a place of separation. In verse 25, it says that Abraham looks at that rich man, calls back to that rich man um, who had cried out to him asking for someone to come give him a, a drop of water and said, Abraham said that, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Now in this story, Abraham describes this chasm, this, this divide that exists between heaven and hell, a chasm, a divide that no one can cross. Can you imagine the weight of those words as they hit the ears of that rich man and he hears Abraham say to him, there is no chance, there is no help, there is no relief, there is no one coming to your aid. You're there and that's where you are. I can imagine that that simple fact might be the worst part of hell. That for all eternity, you are separated from God's love and from God's grace. And that there is nothing good that will ever come to you again. You know, even the lost in this life on earth experience the love and goodness of God. Do they not? They do. Every day of their life is a gift of God. The fact that they've been given life and given another day of live, another day to live is a gift of God's love. I mean, and they're walking around in the beauty of God's creation, which God gave to man to experience and to enjoy. And so those lost people, despite the fact that they're lost, they experience God's common grace. They experience God's love to all of mankind. But once they are in hell, that is done, that is over. They no longer experience that love and grace of God, and from that point forward, all they experience is God's full wrath. Jesus calls it the outer darkness in other places. The outer darkness. And I think he's trying to use that description to emphasize the fact that they are isolated. That there's no one who can come to them. I mean, think back to when you were a kid, and remember when you were a child, and, and maybe this wasn't you, but maybe it was, and you were scared of the dark, you know, and your parents would turn the lights out, and it would just really kind of make you nervous, make you scared, and you'd get antsy. What was it that made the dark so scary? The fact of feeling alone, I think, in part, of not being able to see what's around you, not being able to know what's there. Jesus said it's the outer darkness. Those in hell are eternally in the dark. Forever isolated, forever separated, forever alone. Fourth, hell is a place of sadness and a place of regret. You can imagine that moment when he hears those words. There's this chasm that has been fixed and no one can go from here to there that... that the weight of regret that would set in in that moment, the sadness that would set in in that moment, that the pain and the anguish he was feeling was not going to go away. 
And then in verse 27, the rich man cries out again, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Let me tell you, don't read that verse too casually. We can read through this story and we can speed right through that verse and, and get to verse 7 and just say, well, then I beg you, fathers, to send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers. But I want you to place, as hard as this might be to think about, I want you to place yourself in that situation and hear this man who is in absolute torment and anguish for eternity cry out to Father Abraham and say, Father Abraham, I beg you, send them to my father's house. Send someone to help my family because I do not want them to come where I am. This man is experiencing the full-on, full-pressure, full-court press of regret in his life. He's realized that he messed up, that he did not receive the gift of God of grace that he could have had. That he rejected the offer of forgiveness, thought he could do it his own way, and now he is living in that regret that he can do nothing about it and there is nothing that is going to change. You know, in a sense, hell is going to be a place full of people with good theology. Do you know that? That here, this man realized that God is God. And at that point, he realized that Jesus is the Son of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11 says that there's going to come a day where every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But there are many, all those who are in hell that are going to make that confession are not making that confession for salvation. That's not an, an oh, praise the Lord moment. That is an oh, me moment in which they realize that their theology, their thoughts, their, their beliefs were all wrong. And forever, for eternity, they're going to have to live with the pain of that. They're not crying out to trust the Lord as their Savior. They're crying out in regret, regret because they've received their sentence. I mean, have you ever had a time in your life where you did something wrong and regret started eating you up? You started feeling guilty about it to the point where you knew you had to do something about it to fix the problem? You know, remember those times? Could you imagine an eternity of realizing you made the greatest mistake you could ever make and you can do nothing about it? That's the regret of hell. That for the rest of eternity, you will live with the fact that you turned away from Jesus and His offer of grace. And in that regret, I want you to notice what it is the rich man asks Abraham to do. Send someone to my brothers because they need the truth. He does not want them to make the same mistake. Do you realize that if we interviewed people in hell today, they would come to you and tell you to believe in Jesus? That I believe that every person in hell today would say the same thing that Lazarus, or the rich man says here, please do not come where I am. You do not want to be here. This is not what you want. This verse made me pause this week and really think hard about this. Does, do those in hell care more for the lost than I do? Do those in hell have a greater sense of urgency for evangelism and for the gospel than we do as a church? 
Because here is a man who is in hell, and all he wants is for his brothers to hear the good news. He realizes he can do nothing about his own situation, but his brothers are still alive. And so, Father Abraham, please send somebody. Do something. Hell ought to motivate us like it motivated this man right here. And if that doesn't motivate you, let me give you one last fact. Fact number five. And that's simply that hell is eternal. It's eternal. Back in 1874, I read this this week. There was a fire that began in a coal mine in China. And that fire burned for 130 years. Every single year, it burned through 2 million tons of coal. Every single year, it produced 100,000 tons of harmful gases. And every single year, it produced 40,000 tons of ash. And it wasn't until the year 2000 that the Chinese government decided they had to try to put the fire out. And it took them four years and $12 million to do it. It seemed like an eternal fire, a fire that was never going to be put out. But there's only one of those. And the only eternal fire is the one of hell. In that moment that Abraham declares that there is this chasm that is fixed and no one can cross over, he is declaring this truth that hell is eternal. There is no second chance. There is no third chance. If we think about it in earthly terms, hell is not a correctional facility where the bad guys get sent to get straightened out and be put back into society. Hell is not a purgatory where you are purged of your sin and then released into heaven. It is a place of eternal punishment. Of eternal terror, of eternal wrath. There is no end to it. And this is what this means for us as believers. For those of us who are Christians... This is what all of this, why all of this matters. I like the way Francis Chan said it. He said, when we study hell, this is not about doctrine so much as it is about destinies. This is not about doctrine so much as it is about destinies. Because as Christians, we can read all these words and we can read this story and we can read the other passages that Jesus talks about and that the Bible talks about when it comes to hell and the reality of hell and the eternality of hell. And we can simply stop and say, well, I'm glad that's not for me. I don't have to worry about that because I'm going to heaven. And that's good news that you're going to heaven. And that's good news that we don't have to worry about the fact that we're going to end up there. But we can also be guilty then of thinking about hell in an academic sense. I'm just learning facts about it, but it's not really going to affect me. But let me remind you, this is not about just having good doctrine. This is, about, this is about grasping the eternal destinies of people. That just as hell is real, it is very real that people are going there. People that you and I know. People that you and I love. That those individuals who we know and we love and we come in contact with every day who do not have a relationship with Jesus, that if they die apart from a, a, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity in hell. And I can't remember who said it, but let me tell you this. Eternity is too long to be wrong. And we as Christians ought to be moved by that to tell others about Jesus Jesus. 
We must. Because they're dying and going to hell. And we have the cure. We have the answer. And we cannot simply sit to the side and say, you know what, they just got to find it themselves. It's not up to us, it's up to them. No, it is up to us. I mean, look at what it says in verse 29. The rich man cries out and says, hey, please send someone to my brothers so that they can hear the good news of Jesus, so they can be saved. In verse 29 it says, But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. That's the Bible he's talking about. He's saying they've got the word of God. And he says, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Well, someone did rise from the dead. His name was Jesus. But also what Abraham is saying here is that it's not God's plan to send back a bunch of people from hell to scare people into heaven. And so if that's not God's plan, that's not God's way of telling people about Jesus, then what is God's way? Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we as the church are the method that God's chosen to take the gospel to people so that they can hear the good news and receive the love of Jesus Christ and not spend an eternity in hell. Let's pray with me. Father God. We don't like talking about hell, but we have to. Because it's real, and it's a place full of real people. People who thought they were good. People who thought they were on the right path. But who died and opened their eyes up in eternity to find out that they were not. Father God, as we come to this time of invitation, I'm asking that if there's someone here today who realizes in this moment that they are not saved, I pray that they would take it to heart that eternity is too long to be wrong. And I'm praying that you would convict their heart and help them to realize that Jesus is the one and only Son of God who came to this earth to die on a cross and arise from the grave to pay the price for our sin. And I pray that that individual would realize that the only way they can have eternal life is by confessing their sin to Jesus and asking Him to forgive them and receiving the grace and mercy that only He can offer I'm praying, God, that if there's someone in this room today who needs to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be that day, that they would, as soon as we start singing, that they would come out of that aisle and they would want to come down here so that we can talk about it, so we can pray about it, so we can make sure that they know, that they know, that they know that they're saved. And Father, for we as the church, I pray that right now, if a person, if we do not have these individuals on our minds, I pray that you would place in our minds somebody who we love, who we know, that we're not sure if they know Jesus. 
And I pray that you would give us time today, this week, in the near future in which we can share the love of Jesus with them. Fill our minds with the words to say. I know for so many, we, we approach that thought of evangelism with a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety because we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, but I pray that we would simply trust the Holy Spirit. And that we would believe that if you've placed them in our lives, that you can fill our mouths and give us the words to speak. And so, Father, I'm praying that in the coming days, weeks, months, that we would hear stories of how lives were changed and people were saved because we as the church got right with you and began to obey what you've called us to do, to make disciples, to share the gospel. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the assurance of salvation it gives us. And I'm praying right now as we come to this time of invitation that the decisions that need to be made today, that you would give that person the courage to step out and to come forward. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?